This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is partner, co-founder, and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. Pop Health Week engages industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer, provider, patient, vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategies. To create private label thought leadership content, connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter via at Greg Masters MPH, and that is Greg with two G's. On today's episode, our guest is David B. Nash, MD, MBA, the founding dean emeritus and full-time faculty as the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin, professor of health policy at the Jefferson College of Population Health. His national activities, including curator and master of ceremonies for the annual and quite popular Population Health Colloquium, now in its 21st year. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And David, welcome to Popular. Thanks. Great to be back. Yeah, it's been a number of times on the show, so it's always great to discuss something. And you've got this new book out, which makes it even better. So really appreciate you coming back on. So let's talk about how COVID crashed the system by you and uh, Charles Wolferth. So tell us a little bit about why did you decide to write this? Sure. So Charles Wolferth, I met Charles uh, in uh, the fall of 2019, pre-pandemic, at a great meeting in uh, Midtown Manhattan, uh, seemed like a super nice guy. He told me he was a science and medical writer. Take his card, and uh, we had a meal together. Didn't think too much of it, other than a nice guy. Uh, of course, that was uh, let's call it November of nineteen, and then uh, twenty twenty, and March, and so uh, spring of twenty. Charles reaches back out to me. Uh, Fred and says, hey, remember me? And of course I did. He said, listen, uh, you've got a great voice and, and, and I'm a great writer. we got to get together and tell this story. Nobody's telling the story. And my first reaction was, oh, gosh, I got a lot to do. Uh, do I really need to do this, too? And honestly, Fred Charles was very persuasive and super articulate guy and he said, look, you know, don't decide today, but I really think that you could fight COVID with a book. And I thought, wow, I, okay, I hadn't really thought of it quite that way. And at that point, uh, Dr. Esther Nash and I were more worried about our daughter on the front line than I was about writing a book. But Charles said, this is, that'll be your contribution in part to the battle. Okay, so uh, a couple of weeks later, I said, okay, what do we do now? And, you know, I've written a lot of books, more than two dozen, but they are textbooks and not the kind of book you go to the, you know, bookstore to buy. Anyway, so we had to find an agent, write a sample chapter and a detailed outline, fill out the whole author questionnaire and uh, our agent was wonderful. She shopped it around. We got to Roman and Littlefield, a very well-established house in Maryland, got the acquisitions editor. Uh, and then basically it was then a race to the deadline, which was December 31st, 2021. So we spent uh, 
We spent nine months every other week on a 90-minute Zoom call. And I did all the outline with Charles, and then every call was focused on a chapter. And I have a great medical student who helped me, Zach Goldberg. We, we had over 400 references, you know, so it was a crazy process. But the why, the why was uh, I, I'm going to use my big mouth to write another book to tackle COVID instead of trying to fight at the bedside, which clearly I'm way too old and out of shape to do. So that that's the punchline. Well, I love the folk that, f- fact that you said you're using this to tackle COVID because you're actually taking on the entire healthcare system. Well, as, as you know, and uh, it's so great to be back on this wonderful program, uh, it's all about systems thinking, right? And, and given what was going on in the background with the 737 MAX and then that New York Times bestseller about the total duplicity on the part of Boeing and my work with guys like John Nance and others. And I thought, you know, basically, this is just a giant plane crash. And all these people are dying every damn day. Imagine, just imagine if a 777 went down every day at Philly International. I mean, we would close it all down and we'd ground every airplane until they found, you know, whatever three pieces were broken so that's how we came up with the crash scenario and the NTSB investigation. And, and as you know from the book, I mean, there isn't really a black box, but it, it, it became evident what the black box would have contained, right? And for guys like you and me, no real surprises here. Obviously, uh, this plane was doomed on takeoff, right? And then we spend half the book about what a disaster but I was really motivated with Charles's uh, obviously expert help to make the whole second half of the book. Okay, so what can we do now? And and end with a list of recommendations like an NTSB report. So the analogy we thought was pretty apt and we stuck to it. And uh, Charles was on board. John Nance is one of the people we interviewed clearly in the book to sort of help us uh, make it work. And it, it comes together, you know, it uh, kind of reads like a novel in a way. It's a story, right? It, it's not a textbook. It, it's not a scholarly, you know, manifesto. It ain't that. It's a story. And it's an incredibly important story to tell. And uh, I'm grateful for Charles's help. And uh, I, I hope it'll be a bestseller. It really is great. It's a good read, first of all. It's really good to read it. It's got great stuff because you go from personal stories of your daughter to what's going on at Northwell to, you know, looking at Payviders and, and the system itself. And then, of course, you mentioned, as Greg said before the show, public health. <laughs> you know, what's right. going on with public health? What's going on with that? And underfunded. Right. So what, what would you say are the key takeaways from your book? Okay. So look, I think our audience for Pop Health Week, these are super smart people, and they've been on the journey like we have for a long time. So none of this is really a surprise. But when you start really thinking about it, okay, so take-homes, are we really going to sit back after a million deaths and do nothing different? I mean, that to me, that's the main message. And I see it uh, all kinds of places, big and small, like, let, let's just get back to business and 
more admissions and, and fill those beds and do more caths and more cancer and more ortho. And, you know, guys, gals, why don't we ask ourselves the question, well, what's the real business that we're in, right? I mean, this sounds familiar, Fred. So the take-homes are, we got this platform that's an inferno, not just smoldering, but totally consumed with fire. Are we going to just stand there, watch it burn and do nothing different? That's the take-home message, I think. And so are we going to take this once in an industry opportunity to attempt to fix what's broken? Look, I'm, I'm running out of time. I, I've been at Jefferson for 32 years. I'm 67 years old. I, they're not, I, I, you know, I could keep talking. Not too many people are going to keep listening. So we're running out of time to make these changes. That's the take home message. Right. And I think, you know, as you think about that, David, you, you've been talking about population health for, for a long time and you're still banging that hammer saying, hey, we got to move this direction. And a lot of this are actually population health type approaches. It's totally. Within, within your answers of what, what we need to do. So do you really think the message, you know, and not based on your discussions or the book itself, but I'm, I'm seeing, like you said, everybody's sort of going back a bit. Are we going to make the move? Are enough of the system people going to make the move to make this happen? Boy, you know, I'm an optimist and I'm definitely a glasses half full kind of guy. I, I don't know, Fred. I'm awfully worried. I'm awfully worried. I, what I do hope is that one of the best outcomes of the book would be to stimulate exactly this kind of conversation amongst the people who have the wherewithal, the influence, the moral authority to get something done. So let's give me, let's, let's give some examples, right? So look, there's a lot of great people in medical education, but we're hamstrung by AC, GME, LC, ME, uh, the residency requirements. But okay, somebody's got to put his or her foot down and say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. We got to train people to become the doctor of tomorrow. Okay, so there's the Bernie Tyson Medical School, there's Geisinger, maybe Walmart will have a medical school. So we got to give those folks a platform. That's one example of the kind of thing I hope will happen. Second thing, yeah, that payvider, that's a clunky term. We were talking about payvider three years before the pandemic, right? And all of a sudden now you see integrated delivery systems purchasing or merging or doing a joint venture with a big, bad managed care organization, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, whatever it is, growth in ACOs. Okay. So maybe that's uh, another route. What we do know is you got to go upstream and shut that faucet rather than mopping up the floor. I've been talking about that literally for 13 years, nonstop. So that's another good example. But if the book stimulates the conversation amongst the people who could really make a difference, which I believe is everybody, uh, then we will be successful. And, you know, you got to go back to, I'm old enough to remember, you know, my junior high loose leaf binder, height of the Vietnam War. If you're not a part of the solution, you're automatically a part of the problem. And I, I, I just can't be a part of the problem. Uh, I got to be out there saying, listen, I don't have every answer, certainly not. But if I could get the right people together to talk about what we got to do, then that's the road to redemption for sure. So 
That brings up an interesting idea, David. Could you convene or put some effort in to convene that kind of group? Because I'm thinking from a political political perspective, we need to get rid of the 85% medical loss ratio rule. The only thing that does is keep costs going up. There's no reason for a pay provider to make people healthy because they'll make less money. And so could you pull that? And you were about to answer that question. Let me let you get to it. Well, what we hope, what we hope is in part, and it's a tall order, admittedly, but look, we haven't been together for the Pop Health Colloquium in three long years. I'm praying, literally praying, November 7, 8, and 9 will be safe. It'll be great to be back together in person. We're going to have a night set aside, Tuesday night, November 8th, where myself and several other authors of very timely books about healthcare, we're going to have a book seance, you know, to talk about these issues and try to get a groundswell of support. And by the way, it's going to be election eve as well. So holy mackerel, it'll be a high wire act. We'll have televisions. We'll be watching the returns. We'll be talking about health care. You know, Fred, our listeners know we are the biggest business in our great country. And whatever happens to healthcare is going to affect the entire country and vice versa. So we got a $4 trillion monster that most people who look at the data would agree $1 trillion of that spending makes no damn sense. Can you name another industry anywhere in our country where that's the case? You know, So that's why venture capital and private equity, why they're pouring money and energy into our Field because they think, wow, uh, if I make a 1% margin on a trillion dollars, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so we could cut that waste. But back to your question, the only people who can reduce waste are the people inside the system itself. That's why I called it the Trojan horse strategy, you know, get inside the system to try to make the change. I, I really do believe that that's part of what the book is about. And you know, trying to explain health insurance to Joe and Jane, uh, you know, on Broad Street in Philadelphia, it's hard to do. It's awfully hard. That's why Charles and I wrote, you know, hang in there with us. It's complicated. Uh, you know, this is, it's, it may not be bedtime reading, or you got to read it four times before you understand what the heck we're talking about. But even so, it's, it's incredibly complicated. But if we start the conversation and get it in the right direction and engage with the right people, I'm optimistic. Well, that's great. It's nice to have an optimist in the group. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to the colloquium, obviously. That's going to be one heck of a session. And, you know, I'm thinking about this. You just mentioned the concept of an individual, you know, and asking them to kind of manage this thing, which they can't. It's so difficult and complex. But one of the groups you talk about in the book is employers. And you implore them to take control. But again, that's going to require a fair amount of education, won't it? It sure will. So let's talk about that. I mean, not the first time you and I have even tackled this issue, right? And in our city, we've got uh, my great friend, Neil Goldfarb, the Philadelphia Business Coalition on Health, part of the national movement, doing all the right things, transparency and accountability, showing the uh, leapfrog scores, uh, holding employers responsible while giving them great education. This week's Journal of the American Medical Association, a really great piece on chief medical officers for employers who then are reaching out to guys like you and me. Okay, so 
maybe we're making some progress. But I would say uh, I'm a pretty easy grader. I would give most employers at best a B minus as to how they've managed healthcare costs. It's still all about the brokers. Get me the best price. You know, keep it under control. Give me the biggest network. That's ridiculous in the 21st century. Give me a network that has good outcomes and give me a network that you could prove that people are following the evidence. They're not being wasteful. They're communicating. They're coordinating. They're not doing stuff they ought not to be doing. I mean, on and on. So do employers do that? I don't really think so. I really don't. Um, I think there are a lot of employers, especially medium ones, who think, oh, you know, all hospitals are about the same and all doctors are about the same. And and in Philadelphia, if you don't have all five major medical centers in your network, well, no one's going to use it. That's nonsense. And we got to get past that. Uh, Awfully hard to do. Awfully hard. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week. Our guest is David B. Nash, MD, MBA, the founding dean emeritus and full-time faculty as the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy at the Jefferson College of Population Health. It's going to be. I mean, you think about, I can't tell you how many people I've just talked to personally who say, well, my doctor needs to be in that network. But excuse me, unfortunately, your doctor is in the bottom half. You don't want, you know, and and trying to get that message across is very difficult. Very hard. Look, you know, we all have heroes in healthcare. I have a whole bunch of heroes. Uh, Among them, you know, just Atul Gawande, right? Uh, Not everybody's equally doing a good job. We know that. And it's a bell curve distribution of performance and outcome. So I'd rather have people at the, the right end of that bell curve in my network. And I think we have the tools, the technology. What we don't have is the political will to say you're in and you're not. And for the guys and gals who aren't, we're going to give you an opportunity to improve. We'll even teach you how. And we'll give you a shot at getting into the network. Absolutely. But you know, some of this Fred is vocabulary. When you hear narrow network, right. that's like a war cry, right? That that's the wrong word. High performance network. That's the network I want to be and in. And that narrow network came from the nineties when in fact they did narrow the network based on price and not quality. Based on price. And so right. We're stuck. And, and then we got to, as you and I have chatted about, you know, uh, what I used to call somewhat disparagingly, you know, any breathing provider. Well, that's a crazy (laughs) network. Who wants to be in that network? Not me. Right. Uh, So employers have a lot of work to do. For my class, I just did a uh, talked about Palm Beach ACO down in Palm Beach. Ah. The number one ACO in the country from savings. You know what they do every year? They drop the bottom 10% of their providers. Sure. And, and those kinds of things, they're tough. But And then what you have to do is obviously give the resources to help those providers move back up into the, into the realm of, of continuing to do the right stuff. It's counterintuitive that Palm Beach could achieve savings, that's for sure. But, but you know, if done right, it certainly, it certainly can work. It may help a little bit with a high base. Well, right, right. But like we talk about in the book, you know, the waste, anybody could cut costs. That's easy. Close a program, close a hospital, reducing waste. Well, that's gut-bustingly difficult, hard work. And that's where doctors, nurses, pharmacists working together with good leadership, with the tools, with the data, 
And today, there's no excuse. There's great companies that could help you get the data and organize it. And every test I've ever ordered, it's all online now. You could see how does Nash do versus everybody else in the practice. Let's get into it. And it doesn't have to be punitive, certainly not. But if you give us the tools and you give us good data, get out of the way. We're going to stampede to improve. That's always been true. Absolutely. And one of the areas you touched on also is the whole issue of, you know, the disparities, COVID and racism and what we saw in these various communities. Just tragic. Tragic. Well, I have to say, personally, this was really eye opening for me. It's one thing to have the College of Population Health and our great journal and the textbook and the colloquium, but to see it in our own city on a day-to-day basis, people dying, the guys and gals who drove the buses, kept the trains going, delivered the groceries, fought the fires. It was a disaster. And when you delve deeper and you see that a lot of these folks never have a paid holiday or barely making minimum wage, they had to show up because they had to eat. And then when they got sick, they went home. The places aren't big enough to, you know, isolate in the guest bedroom. And then all of a sudden, we wonder why communities of color got crushed, not to mention underlying terrible health measures of obesity and hypertension and diabetes and all the rest. It's a toxic witch's brew of poverty, ill health, poor jobs, structural challenges. You put that all together. Well, no wonder that people of color were dying at three, four, five times the rate of age match, non-Black, non-colors. It's just unbelievable what happened. And not just in Philadelphia, of course. And this is not a new story. Let's go back to David Ansel's great book, 2017, The Death Gap in Chicago. I mean, this was well described, which is why we say in the book, no surprise, terrible, but no surprise. But speaking personally, to see it in our own town, it it really was a uh, eye opener for me. I, I didn't really get it honestly, as much as, uh, as maybe I should have, but seeing it for that first year, that, that just uh, was a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, I mean, that was obviously a huge inferno going on within this broader COVID issue. Totally. And you talked about the individuals who ran into that fire and said, we're going to solve those problems. That one case, I think it was with someone going in with vaccines or something into the- Yes, the- yes, Dr. Stanford and others. You know, I give the Jefferson leaders a lot of credit. I was super proud of the day-to-day amazing folks who were in charge, some of them now gone, but who were on the front lines of organizing our response. It's awfully hard. I mean, there was no infrastructure, no way to keep a record of who got a vaccine and who didn't and where should we go and how do we talk to people who don't trust us at all and how do we treat people when there's no doctor who looks like them. And all of that stuff came to a head. Oh, and then, of course, uh, you you know, uh, murderings and the Black Lives Matter movement and the riots all at the same time. I mean, it was unbelievable confluence of these events. And then even corny stuff like deputy editor of JAMA saying, well, there's no structural racism because doctors aren't racist. Well, okay, 
that was like the final, you know, uh, that gave me insight that no, we just don't get it. And, and, and then you realize that if that's the status quo and that's the leadership, we got a long ways to go to sort this out. And I'm not Pollyanna. I, I'm really not. But I am realistic enough to say, well, we got to have a different approach. Um, uh, but if you're going to get paid to do more, that approach will not work to keep people healthy. It's not going to drive the creation of more primary care centers. It's, it's not going to get into the toughest, poorest zip codes in a city like Philly. It's going to take outside resources, uh, hence our project with Novartis and closing the gap and other related activities. But these, this is a drop in the bucket compared to the greater challenge of um, the healthcare system is the final common pathway for all of the social determinants, right? When you look at it uh, outside looking in, uh, the, the poverty and ill health all come together in you know, creating the need for healthcare services and diabetes out of control, obesity, cardiovascular disease. We're the final common pathway for all of that. So it'll take a societal change in saying, what's the core business that we're in? If the core business is improving health, okay, well, let's organize to improve health. But I would argue we haven't even had that conversation. What's the core business and how are we going to get paid to implement the core business? Uh, Not trivial. And we try very hard to raise those questions in the book. It's complicated. It's, it's very complicated. So, David, you mentioned Atul Gawande, and obviously we had the news about Amazon acquiring One Medical. Is that Haven 2.0? Is that a VC play? What is that? Yeah, good question. I hope it's not Haven 2.0, with all due respect to uh, Atul and the team. Well, look, it's uh, not unexpected. Uh, Amazon has been nibbling on the edges, right, with PillPack and other opportunities. And uh, Alexa, you know, I wrote a piece, Alexa, refill my omeprazole and have it delivered and uh, bring some recipes on low reflux diet, right? So uh, I think it's, to me, a step in the right direction because it's going to be disruptive and that's great. And it's going to put the provider community on notice that this is just the first of many salvos across the bow of this boat, that stuff is not going to remain the same. And I'm looking forward to see, and uh, I wish them well. Thank you so much for coming on. The book is great. How COVID Crashed the System. It's really a good read. And, but it also, as you said, it has great ideas on what we can do to begin to try to fix the system. So I really appreciate your efforts in writing this and putting the time in. I know that was a lot of work. Well, thanks so much. Great to be together. And I hope we'll see everybody November 7, 8, and 9 in Philadelphia. Absolutely. Head to the colloquium. It's the place to be. And with that, thanks again, David. And back to you, Greg. And that is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank our special guest, David B. Nash, MD, MBA, the founding dean emeritus of the Jefferson College of Population Health, for his time and insights and preview of his new book, How COVID Crashed the System. Do follow his work at Jefferson via at jefferson.edu forward slash population hyphen health and on Twitter via at Nash Pop Health and the college via at Jefferson JCPH. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues, and 
do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're published. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you Love Coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.